1: On today's podcast, we welcome special guest, Voltus CEO, Greg Dixon. Voltus is a leading distributed energy resource software technology platform. On the podcast, Greg discusses what are distributed energy resources or DERs and why they are important. Voltus's recurring revenue business model and strong unit economics, thoughts on the current market environment and raising a $100 million pipe financing, advice to entrepreneurs considering taking their company public, and more. So with no further ado, here's our show with Voltus CEO Greg Dixon. Greg, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today?
2: Doing great, Julian. Thank you very much for having us.
1: Yeah, excited to get into it. I was looking into your background and noticed that you obviously have a lot of expertise in energy management, which is an area that I'm sort of familiar with, but I really want to dive into the details behind the business model at Voltis. But prior to that, could you talk to us about your background, previous career prior to Voltis, and how you became an expert in commercial and industrial energy management?
2: Well, I was born in 1972 on a cold winter day. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, Actually, you know, growing up actually does play a big role in where I ended up, which I'll try to keep brief, but it is an important element of my background and why I've come full circle to spending the last 20 years of my career in distributed energy resources. I I grew up in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, surrounded by this stunning natural beauty and uh, with a family that lived. Outdoors as much as it did indoors. And and as a result, you know, you develop this really deep appreciation for the environment, for nature, and, and our relationship to that, to that beauty. My dad was a former GE engineer who happened to have a passion for renewable energy, or really at the time, what was probably considered alternative energy, which we've grown out of. And so I grew up with solar thermal, you know, river powered electricity. You know, when you when you do solar thermal in northern New Hampshire, you take you take showers like once a week because that's <laughs> about as, as, as often as the sun shines enough to, to heat up the water. Right. Um, but, you know, going off to college, I, I, you know, I went to study computer science and business management. Frankly, I didn't really think much about ending up in clean tech, despite the fact that, you know, my my parents would talk about the virtues of it over the dinner table. And so I started my career in management consulting. I lived and worked around the world in lots of different industries, from consumer products to banking to transportation, technology, et cetera. Um, And one of my clients toward the tail end of my time in management consulting was Hess, the, mm-hmm. the oil company and I, I lived on Saint Croix with our consulting team at the refinery in one of the most beautiful places on Earth, the U.S. Virgin Islands. And long story short, John Haas, the CEO, you know, bought a small distributed generation technology company back in like you know 2000. The idea of which was to essentially use the natural gas they sold to New York City clients to produce electricity on site with on site cogeneration systems and essentially steal megawatt hours from the uh, New York City Utility Con Ed, right? And and he asked a former colleague of mine to lead that business. And, and, and that colleague asked me to lead marketing and sales. And I came full circle to the virtues of clean energy, specifically distributed energy, when I was forced to do the math that my dad had hoped I would do at the dinner table, but was bored by. <laughs> so, you know, when I did the math and then the simple math is that central power stations waste About two-thirds of the energy that is put into those systems to produce electricity that is further wasted through line loss of transmission lines and distribution lines and then further in incandescent light bulbs that are 10% efficient. And when you actually are forced to do the math, you realize that distributing that power production and consumption has superior economics and a whole lot of other virtues. And so for the past 20 years, I've been developing this industry, the technologies and the teams to take DERs to their full adoption with, and, and, you know, obviously most recently with Voltus. And, you know, during those 20 years, I've worked and lived around the world working with some of the largest and most complex energy users and most the largest uh, electricity markets that have slowly but surely fully integrated and adopted DERs into their market construct. And here we are really at an inflection point. That will transform electricity markets forever.
1: So obviously, that early experience with clean tech has rubbed off on you. And luckily, it has improved significantly in effectiveness, efficiency, and adoption. Now, you mentioned the terminology distributed energy resources, or DERs. Just so our listeners are aware, at the most basic level, what exactly are DERs? Sure.
2: So a DER is any electricity-producing, consuming, or storing device behind a consumer's electricity meter that can be controlled to deliver a service similar to services delivered by a traditional central power station. DERs are the most cost-effective, the most reliable, and in fact, the cleanest energy solution we can bring to market at scale to address a whole host of very big electricity grid challenges today. And these things, they lie, they lie in plain sight all around us. They take hundreds of forms. It could be an electric vehicle, a smart thermostat, a commercial building management system. It could be solar and battery storage. It could be you know, a common emergency generator at any you know, commercial facility. And to put it in perspective and to just use one use case, to give your listeners a sense of just how transformative these things are. By the year 2030, the combined lithium-ion battery capacity in North American electric vehicles will be more than two times the capacity of central power generation stations in North America. Mm. So let me read that backwards. You take all the coal, the nukes, the gas plants, the hydro, all the central power stations in North America, and multiply their capacity by two, that will amount to... About 2 million megawatts lithium ion battery capacity, which will exist in North American vehicles. In North America, we have about an 880,000 megawatt peak electricity demand. When we're all turning our lights on and air conditioners on on simultaneously, 880,000 megawatts of peak electricity demand. With 2 million megawatts of lithium ion batteries in electric vehicles, what can we do with that? Well, with this one use case, you can imagine a whole host of things. The electric vehicle in my garage is connected to the internet in real time. I can control it from my smartphone. I can control it through the internet. All of these things are controllable through the internet. And when you're controlling those EVs, which can actually can be done uh, quite simply with technology we've developed, we can deliver services to the grid that deliver less expensive, more reliable and cleaner energy. If we had this innovation, this technology in place fully in February of 2021, we could have prevented winter storm Yuri from taking down the energy hub of the universe in Texas. We would have avoided $300 billion of economic loss. We would have avoided hundreds of lost lives. And we would have done it much less expensively than our traditional central power station model. Now, that's one use case of hundreds of use cases of
1: DERs. And now, a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest-growing alternative investment solution providers, with a suite of institutional-caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. And to get a better
2: idea of some of the markets that you play in, as as our listeners know, Julian and I are located in Calgary, Alberta. And prior to us starting to record, you mentioned that Alberta is a really strong market for you. Can you Discuss what unique characteristics of the Alberta market um, result in this being such a strong, a strong market? Well, we love Alberta, of course, as I mentioned. I don't want to single out Alberta by saying it is particularly more valuable than others. In fact, every one of these electricity markets is extremely valuable and is desperate for the virtues and benefits of these DERs. It happens to be that Alberta is a is a little bit more progressive in adopting DERs into its market construct to deliver value to consumers. And so I'll, I'll describe it uh, a little bit, but what I would preface it with is that by talking about Alberta, we're actually pointing out one of the big challenges that the Volta software platform helps to address. Unfortunately, electricity markets are very balkanized. They're Byzantine, they're balkanized, they have these, what are known as open access transmission tariffs, they're often like 5,000 pages long. And they're very, very complex. And that's that's no different with Alberta than it would be for the MISO market in the US or the SPP, the Southwest Power Pool Market in the US. And when you step back from that and you think about if you're an engineer and you went to design our electricity grid, you wouldn't think to design nine entirely separate US and Canadian wholesale power markets. You wouldn't really think to have 3,300 Canadian and US utilities, right? I mean, how many, how many cell phone providers do we have? Well, you know, when a market matures, you might have five to seven competitors fighting for a market, but we've created these regulated monopolies. We have these balkanized wholesale power markets. We have, you know, state and provincial public utility commissions. There's a tremendous amount of complexity in these markets, which is why we developed the technology we developed. It really abstracts that complexity and provides these customers, these owners of DERs, a unified platform to bring them into electricity markets that value them. And in Alberta, Alberta is an interesting market in that it's known as an energy-only market. It essentially sends a price signal every day before the market and during the day of what it values every hour's megawatt hour at. It's a really, really, you know, an an economist loves the Alberta market. And it's done a great job of essentially saying, look, we're not going to solve our electricity market needs by simply incentivizing more supply. Alberta is a great example of a system operator that says, look, our job is to ensure competitive prices and reliable delivery of electricity and so their job is to manage supply and demand most grids traditionally have said all right when demand goes up we don't control that don't control that part of the balance we simply turn on more supply so when there's more demand we put up we turn on more supply what alberta says is yep we do that but we also provide an incentive for the consumers the demand side of the equation to choose to participate to reduce their consumption of electricity on the grid, and we will pay them exactly the same as we would a central power station that delivers more traditional services. Now, that's a beautiful thing because, A, it encourages more competition. It's not just competition from the supply side, but you have the demand side also competing for that megawatt hour to drive the price down. Second thing is it gets these consumers involved in the markets that they're purchasing a product in, and that reflects every other market that we would be accustomed to participating in, right? It's no different than the airline industry. We might overbook a flight. But then somebody comes on the PA and says, hey, for a few lucky people, we're going to pay you to not take this flight and go on a flight three hours from now. Who wants to do that? And a price signal is sent up. And instead of rolling out a new plane at the expense of everybody traveling, we have a few consumers that make a lot of money by staying behind while delivering efficient services for every passenger on that full plane. And that's what Alberta does for its electricity consumers. It allows the demand and the supply side to participate to create Economic and reliable outcomes for its consumers.
1: Now, I did want to dig into Voltas's business model specifically. You know how is or how does this recurring revenue model work? In addition, if you could provide some insight into the contract backlog and a future pipeline.
2: Sure. So maybe I'll start. Would it be okay, Julian, if I just start with an overview of the business model, then I can jump into the numbers.
1: Yes, definitely. That'd be great.
2: Great. So, because energy markets, electricity markets are, are so complex, we we do like to use analogies. You know, Voltus is to electricity markets what Airbnb is to the real estate market. So, as we've all come to, I think, appreciate about you know VRBO or Airbnb, that software platform connects hosts and visitors in a two-sided market to to make better use of underutilized apartments and homes while providing extra cash for those apartment or homeowners, the hosts, and more choice and better economics for the visitors. And so similarly, with these DERs that we've been talking about and electricity markets, Voltus's software platform is managing that two-side, two-sided market, orchestrating and monetizing underutilized DERs for the owners of those DERs while delivering needed electricity supply to electricity markets that want less expensive, more reliable, and cleaner power through the aggregation of these resources. And so these DERs form virtual power plants that act like and are valued the same as central power stations when delivering the same services. So you may have a nuclear power plant that's a 1,000 megawatts getting paid by the grid to deliver its services. And that's no different than a 1,000 megawatts of DERs, except that it's not just one big power plant, it's maybe a thousand small power plants that are aggregated to deliver the exact same services and are paid the exact same way. And so given that these grids are responsible for matching supply and demand and that they pay these central power stations for for specific products to balance the grid, these products that are called capacity energy and ancillary services can be delivered through virtual power plants. And so, again, Voltus is paid no differently than this nuclear power plant would be paid. But we pass on to the owners of these DERs a portion of that payment, which amounts to about 60% of what we're paid. So where Airbnb takes about 15% of the transaction of that two-sided market, Voltus takes about 40%. Now, what we do for the owners of those DERs is they're existing. It's a really important element of our business model. We are layering our technology into existing distributed energy resources, right? You have a backup generator at a data center. It's already there. Its primary use case is business continuity. We come in and we basically say, we'll sell you $5 bills for $2. We will pay you to make use of that DER for somewhere between 20, 40, maybe 60 hours a year. We'll layer in our technology for free, no cost to you. There's never any risk. But you agree to allow us to dispatch and make use of that DER when we need to, to deliver these grid services. And for that, we will pay you every quarter cash. And that's where you get the notion of selling $5 bills for $2. For every $5 we collect from the grid, we pass on $3, you know, 60% of that. So the $5 bills for $2, that's literally our business model. Now, as you might imagine, when you're selling $5 bills for $2, it's a growth machine.
1: Right. And you have landed a significant number of customers, over 600, including Home Depot and Coca-Cola. I think it'll help to further understand the business if you could uh, give an example of, you know, one of these customers, exactly what you do for them and and how do they benefit.
2: Sure. Let's take a big box retailer. And let's say that big box retailer has 5,000 stores. they got stores (laughs) all over the U.S. and Canada. Yeah. And so using that as an example, it has stores in every province and in every state, in every one of the nine U.S. and Canadian wholesale power markets. It has stores in almost every one of the utilities. And it owns, it hasn't invested in every type of DER. It has backup generation at stores to provide business continuity to keep the store operating during things like winter storm URI. It has EV charging to to attract the Ford F-150 Lightning shopper. It has solar plus storage. It has centrally controllable building management systems that can control lighting or air conditioning. Now, the primary use case for those what we call DERs is not to monetize them in these markets. It's for business continuity, Mm -hmm. attracting shoppers, achieving sustainability goals, efficiently operating their stores. But those DERs have massive value to the grid. However, this big box retailer does not want to deal with an incredible amount of complexity controlling those DERs when the grids need them. Again, they would have to build an integration into every one of the U.S. and Canadian power markets. They'd have to build an integration into each of the utilities that might have certain grid services programs that pay them to use those DERs, and they don't have the technology to automate the control, the dispatch, the settlement of the performance of these DERs. What this big box retailer needs is full automation end to end from the machine, the internet addressable machine, whatever it is, that DER, through the electric meter, because that electric meter determines its delivery of its services to the grid to the market itself, the integration into the Alberta Electric System Operator, using our example earlier, right to the money that ends up in their bank account in the form of a digital payment. Our platform does all of that for them. And what's important to note is, you know, they don't want the store manager running into the back room, flipping switches to do this stuff. <laughs> so they, they want a single unified platform that does it all for them and monetizes This gets the side gig value from the billions of dollars of investments they've made in these DERs, whose primary use case, again, is not to monetize them. But along comes Voltus, and uh, we offer them a platform that can do this everywhere for any type of DER and for any product in those wholesale markets that those consumers can be paid to deliver services for.
1: That definitely makes a lot of sense, and certainly you guys have had a lot of success with your DER business model and um, with that, you did announce a going public transaction merging with SPAC broad scale acquisition. I was wondering, uh, what are your thoughts on the current market environment? And you guys did raise a $100 million pipe financing, which is you know, certainly huge. You're not really seeing those too often these days. So great job on that. What sort of feedback have you received from investors?
2: Well, we've received very positive feedback. I'll take this one step at a time. To help, I think, listeners appreciate why a a company like Voltus might SPAC. First, we're only five years old. And so a traditional IPO route for us would have been challenging considering we just don't have much of a track record to go on. We would have been considered a pretty early company to take the traditional IPO route. When we started thinking about a SPAC, our trailing revenues of 2020 were something like $25 That's a really difficult um, company to IPO. You know, what, 18 months ago, you could have SPAC a lemonade stand. (laughs) <laughs> it's, right? it's like, uh, let's put together Michael, Julian and Greg's lemonade stand, we'll put some sort of technology technology twist on it, we'll go SPAC it.
1: Great idea. You
2: know, some, yeah, the great idea, let's, let's trademark it, stampede's coming up. You know, we got... <laughs> so you know the at that time, you know, SPACs were really hot, and they play a really important role of accelerating to market innovative companies and technologies that might be early for an IPO or may need special capitalization to take it to the next level. We actually weren't seeking a SPAC. We had all the capital that we needed at the time. But we chose a SPAC to do th- two things. It was really offense and defense. One, we had built a technology. We built a team. You know, We knew the total addressable market was um, an opportunity to win a world championship. We knew we would go public at some point. And so we wanted to play offense. We wanted as much capital on our balance sheet as possible to achieve a very big mission. And the second was just defense. You know, when you would, looked at the market, you saw a lot of companies that were being spacked. That, uh, you know, certainly hindsight twenty twenty. You mm-hmm. kind of knew. You kind of knew many of those companies weren't going to make it, right? Yeah. And so we certainly didn't want to see an unworthy competitor end up with a couple hundred million dollars of cash on their balance sheet that could do damage to our growth plan. So it was, right. it was offense and it, and it was defense. Now, I think what you're seeing now is the shine is clearly off the SPAC market. That's clear. Mm-hmm. But what is also clear is that there's a flight to quality. And that's what you see with $100 million pipe. You know, pipe investors were like, yeah, you know, the SPAC market is really ch- challenge is choppy right now, but this is a really high quality investment and we want to be part of its story. So I think that's, that's what you see behind that. Investors you know, when they look at our business model, they love the quality of our business model. They love our past results. They love our future plans. And I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find many stacked, stacked companies that, that have accomplished that. So I think the headline is there's a flight to quality. It's a challenging market, but investors are savvy and I think they see the quality.
1: So with respect to the quality and obviously the growth behind the company, it makes for a great story. I was wondering, in addition to that, How important are ESG considerations when discussing the Voltage story with investors?
2: It's incredibly important, and it gives us an opportunity to tell a a foundational element of our story. We love the notion of doing well by doing good. Hmm. We fundamentally believe that the most profitable outcome is the most probable outcome. Our business model is squarely in the bullseye of reduce, reuse, recycle. We are enabling existing assets that lie fallow the vast majority of time to deliver a service that puts no more carbon into the atmosphere. It actually prevents us from putting more carbon into the atmosphere. Going back to the EV example, we drive our cars on average 4% of the hours of the year. So that lithium ion battery is charged up and deliver grid services. Its primary use case has nothing to do with you know <laughs> delivering grid services. It's for transportation, Yet it has a massive amount of value that we can uh, deliver and a huge ESG benefit that goes along with that. We avoid the need to build central power plants. We avoid the need to dispatch traditionally fossil-fueled peaking power plants. If anybody's ever stood on a tarmac at at an airport, you can experience the fumes coming off of a jet engine. Well, that's traditionally what we use for peaking power. Voltus and DERs really eliminate the need for any of that. And so it's a pure ESG play. But what we make very clear to investors is this is an amazing investment. We require no subsidies. We have no supply chain risk. We're making use of resources that are in the ground today. And we have negative working capital. We're paid by our grid operator customers before we incur our cost of goods sold, which is the payment to the DER owners that we enable our technology with. It's super capital light. The market is massive. And we think it's a skeleton key to a whole lot more energy management value that is also squarely in the bullseye of ESG investor needs.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Accelerate, one of Canada's leading alternative investment solution providers. Do you want to hedge your investment portfolio and protect your nest egg from significant drawdowns? Look no further than the Accelerate Absolute Return Hedge Fund, a long, short equity ETF that trades under the ticker symbol HEDGE, H-D-G-E, on the TSX. HEDGE, your uncorrelated portfolio diversifier. Find out more at accelerateshares.com.
2: When you were talking about your decision to go public Via Spac versus a traditional IPO. You mentioned, you know, being a, a pretty early stage company, and looking at your team, it, it's full of experienced energy professionals. How were you able to recruit a strong roster for for your team um, at, at such an early stage company? Charm, Michael, just <laughs> charm. <laughs> well, you know, I would I w- I, w- I, w- I would love to believe that's true, but I think the simple fact. Is that these experienced and very successful professionals are very attracted to doing well by doing good with the business model that is changing the world for the better. And many of these people have a deep amount of experience in this industry. Once you experience this industry, once you've been a significant part of it, it kind of gets in your blood. And so, you know, it's like a players attract A players. You know they look around. And they're like, "Huh? Yeah, I want to work with I, I want to work with Dana Guernsey, and she's got her she's got her fingerprints all over every uh, North American electricity market's rules. There is no more innovative, more experienced, and successful energy markets DER expert than Dana Guernsey. Or somebody says, "Wow, John Wellinghoff's on your team, Lo- the longest standing former FERC chairman, who is the godfather." Literally of DERS, he authored most of the FERC orders on DERS, and so I think it's a combination of the fact that the business model and the mission is just a very attractive mission, and they see the talent on the team and they want to be part of a winning team.
1: No doubt, doing well by doing good resonates with executives, and I'm sure investors as well, probably competitors too. Now, with respect to entrepreneurs, leaders, business executives taking their company public. Greg, I was wondering, do you have any parting advice as you go through this process of taking Voltas as public? Uh, any advice for those considering uh, taking their private company to the public markets?
2: Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> it may come true. <laughs> you, you know, be- being a public company, and this is my you know, this is my second go-round as as a as a public company officer, it is a double-edged sword. I don't like being a private company is. When you're a public company, you have to be ready, you have to appreciate the scrutiny that goes along with that. And I think what most people shy away from is that exact pressure. Our business model benefits a tremendous amount from public scrutiny because when You examine what it is we're doing, you pretty quickly learn that this is a business model, this is an innovation technology that needs to be further and further integrated into these markets in ways that allows it to fully flourish, to be fully adopted by consumers. In North America alone, there are hundreds of billions of dollars worth of value that lie latent behind electricity meters that deliver immense economic reliability and sustainability value to consumers I don't think you can actually get that kind of notoriety that attention unless you're a public company right you know if you're operating in these electricity markets which will bore you to tears <laughs> and nobody really cares about You don't get the opportunity you do as a public company when investors are like, hey, I have to really understand how this business actually operates and integrates in the Alberta electric system operator market. What service are they actually delivering? What's the benefit of this? And they begin examining it. They're like, wow, this is a fabulous business model as complex as it is. And I would never have known about this if it weren't a public company or attempting to go public. And so, yeah, it's double-edged sword. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of scrutiny. But I think overall, we really benefit from it.
1: Well, there you have it, Greg. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, talking to us about the Voltus story and doing well by doing good. Certainly a big fan of that message. Now, for investors interested in learning more, the SPAC broad scale acquisition, trading under the ticker symbol SCLE. Then once the business combination completes, the new ticker symbol for Voltus will be VLTS. Wishing you the best of luck, Greg, and we'll be watching to see how the story unfolds.
2: Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Julian. Really appreciate it. Take care.
1: All right. You as well. Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty expressed or implied is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast, Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.